2: My guest today is as close to a rock star of theoretical physics as it's possible to be, who's credited LSD with sparking his interest in the subject. He's also a philosopher of science, whose book, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, was translated into 41 languages, selling over a million copies worldwide. His work on the quantum loop theory of gravity has seen him pick up where Einstein left off and features in his new book, White Holes. With prose so lyrical that he could have been a poet, if not a physicist, his latest release, Journeys to Where Time and Space End, The Heart of a Black Hole. My guest today is Carlo Rivelli. Carlo, how are you? <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlie, for this nice,
3: super nice introduction. Was it
2: okay? Yeah? Oh, uh, too, 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 good, too good. Yeah? Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Sometimes when you, I don't know, I've, I've said this before, but you do an intro and then you kind of, you start, you pick up on the body language of the person listening. And sometimes you think, oh my God, have I said something that offended them or whatever. But I, think, <laughs> no, I, I was... think there it was okay. <laughs> I think it was alright. Only a bit embarrassed. Okay, good, good. Uh, maybe some more emb- embarrassment to come. Um, how are you? How, what have you been up to in recent recent days and weeks?
3: Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I'm here in London, but uh, um, came a few days ago from another London, London, Canada, London, mm-hmm. Ontario, near Toronto. So I'm slightly jet lagged, a, a bit groggy, but everything's perfect.
2: Fortunately, we have um, some very light subject
3: matter to talk about today, <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure the jet lag won't be a
2: problem. Um, I'd, I'd like to, before we get into kind of the, the, the subject matter of the book and, you know, it is substantial and theoretical and incredibly important. There is also this question that I'd like to delve into first though, about the sort of, uh, the role of physics currently in, in mainstream culture, because we've had this big film out right over, over the last couple, uh, weeks and months Oppenheimer, um, and sort of, yeah, theoretical physics, making its it's big screen debut. Have you, have you seen the film? I wonder, have you?
3: Yes. Um, I've seen the film. The film, actually, I've seen it. Uh, the screening, the premiere, the first uh, presentation in New York, uh, uh, together with Cliff, Stephen Nolan, and I was in a panel with him, commenting just after. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, the
2: full experience. And what did you think of the film? I'd be surprised if you came and said now that you didn't like it very much. If you sat on the panel
3: with him, but what did, <laughs> what did, what did you think of it? Of course, with, with him next to me and all the journalists said it's fantastic, it's wonderful, it's marvelous. So <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, uh, it it is good. Uh? Um, I did enjoy. I think it's, uh, it's interesting um, because it talks about science and physics and, uh, and the effect on society and uh, uh, the, the interplay between our knowledge that grows and, and the rest of our life. Um, but also because it raises uh, crucial issues, right? That was, uh, the film is about the making of the atomic bomb. So about the entering the nuclear age in which we are right so and the, and the nuclear bombs are all over the planet right now, pointing to one another and uh, determining what's what's happening and creating a huge uh, immense risks for all of that mm. and uh, Oppenheimer, the main character who is a man who sort of organized the full large scale uh, industry for making the first bomb but, um In his life, and in the movie, of course, uh, he called for global uh, international cooperation. Um, He saw the creation of the atomic bomb even as an opportunity for humankind uh, to stop this idiotic thing of making war to one another and to get together and just uh, find agreements. Politics, fight, but fight in words, not not massacring one another. And his point was that uh, nuclear weapons are so horrible that maybe humans now could realize that uh, collaborating is better than fighting. Mm. hasn't happened, and we're still
2: there. I think there's, there were a couple of things from the film that really stood out to me. One was the, that exploration of guilt. You know, the when the physics moves off the chalkboard and onto into the real world, and, you know, whether or not, not... Maybe not whether or not, but how culpable, how responsible he is for... You know, discovering/slash creating something, but just because he's the person that was involved in the project doesn't mean that someone else wouldn't have found it, or that you know, the laws of physics remain the same, right? It's if if you're the first person to find out about something, does does that make you responsible for it? I, I enjoyed its exploration of of whether or not he was guilty or, and how he felt about it. I don't know if you
3: felt similarly, or I mean, yeah, about to you. definitely. I think it's 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 beautiful this uh, moral confrontation that he and many other physicists of his generation had with what has happened. I mean, they they were involved in the middle of the war and Nazism and this and that and the the complications, the the, the, the eternal complications of human relations. Uh, They seriously at some point said, my God, what we have done we have contributed to the the destruction of um, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands people alive and, uh, and, and and creating this thing that could destroy humankind. I, I wish that the same sense of morality uh, was in all areas of society. Okay. Because as correctly, in, in one of the dialogues of the film, uh, Oppenheimer talked with the president of the United States. and The president says uh, something like, you know, people in Japan who got the bomb on their head uh, don't Really care about who built the bomb, who sent the bomb, who decided to drop it. Um, so the responsibility is common, and I think that's where the responsibility should be in politics and in each one of us. Mm. Uh, we're all involved, I think, because we choose a politician, because we participate to a, to a global um, conversation about what to do with that. Uh, so the 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 the, the, the Topical responsibility is fundamental, not just for the scientists, also for the scientists, but for everybody.
2: I th- I think that's so relevant, um, particularly to a British audience, because, again, not not talking specifically about the film, I enjoyed the contrast between the in the film between the sort of the narcissism of the politicians and the kind of the expertise and and perhaps humbleness, maybe that's not the right word, humility of the scientists. And in British politics in the last ten fifteen years, there's sort of been this it a war, a, a sort of a war on expertise. One of our most high profile politicians, Michael Gove, during the Brexit campaign, he, sa- he, he said, the British people have had enough of experts. And at the time people were very confronted by that statement. Said, what, what on earth do you mean we've had enough of experts, we've had enough of science? No, these things are fundamentally important to who we are as a so- society, about our politics, what we value, truth and reason. And it's very easy to say that, but your point there, that actually the responsibility is common. Yes. You know, if the politician at, verbalizes a statement like that the electorate still decide you know whether to vote for the political project that he's advocating for or yes. to put him in office and actually to simply say you said it you're responsible for it kind of denies any culpability or guilt for the for the broader population right it it it, 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 it distances yourself from something that perhaps you actually are quite directly involved in yourself
3: absolutely i mean this country went for instance through a uh, drama of the Iraq war, right, in which I believe, this, I don't live in this country, but I believe a large part of the population now think it was a mistake, and Absolutely. it was motivated by a lie, which mm-hmm. is the weapons of mass destruction. And politicians were bra- blamed for that. Um, but who chose those politicians? A very difficult question, isn't it? Obviously, it's
2: the, it's the electorate, it's the people. Right. You point the, you point the finger and say, oh, it's the politicians who made the decision. But...
3: Right. Right. Politicians, of course, so we need politicians. I'm not. I'm not arguing against politicians. We need politicians, but we need to choose them widely. Uh, politicians have the job of listening, uh, of course, listening to science, <laughs> listening to expertise. Um, if they don't, they just do damage to to all of us. Mm. Uh, but then they're the one who decide, and uh, they decide by trying to mediate between different push and. Uh, and interest and, and, and values. Uh, very often they are not the values of the people, the values of, a, of an elite, a minority, of power, of money. But they are there trying to um, to make the decisions and very often they make the wrong decisions. And in the in the movie, um, in the same dialogue with the president, uh, there's, something, there's another very interesting detail, which is uh, that um, Oppenheimer says uh, we are in the, I don't know, 40... Uh, 48, 49, when? when no, 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 exactly. And, but uh, I um, say, well, soon the Russians are, are going to have the nuclear w- weapons as well. So he's making the point, you know, let's deal with that. Okay, let's do something about that. And uh, the president starts laughing and say, no, come on, the, n- the Russians are never going to get the nuclear weapons ever. Which make the point that politicians are wrong, mm. okay? Very often, in in and uh, so, um, I think choosing politicians wisely and uh, and uh, uh, not always thinking that uh, um, they know better than us, mm. it's uh, it's important.
2: How we using Oppenheimer as an example, but we can move yeah. on from talking about him because you know. We're here to talk about you as well, obviously. But, you know, part of the Well no, I shall ask it like this. Do you think his being an outsider, his being a, a sort of um an alternative thinker, do you think that do you think that played a role in him making a, a great leap of science? Do you think being an outsider is something that leads to, you know, significant development of theoretical physics, chemistry, any field? Do you think being an outsider, breaking away from orthodoxy is there's an important role to be played there for some for something like that
3: um some of the great scientists were to some extent on another outsiders some were not were very much in the system always when uh, um when there's a jump ahead there's always an element of breaking uh, breaking the, stab, the established view so to say um because uh, uh, th- 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 that's actually the, the part of science that fascinates me the more, right? So, uh, I'm I'm not interested in science because it's a body of knowledge, a set of books where you can open and read how things go. I'm interested in science because uh, it's a process where you constantly challenge what is written in the book. That's what I find it interesting. So, respectively of the uh, of the actual individual history of a person or the scientist. Uh, uh, all scientific steps uh, ahead uh, have been breaking with uh, an established view mm. and uh, showing that something that was uh, considered uh, uh, right is actually wrong. Uh, when I teach, I always tell my students, right? I mean, you have to learn what I'm teaching you because that's how you build something new. But be aware that for sure in what I'm saying, there's something wrong. I don't know where it is, it's up to you to find it out find out right because otherwise you you'll never go ahead and how
2: do you see yourself fitting into that not just as a teacher but as as someone who is also challenging orthodoxy and you know writing about theoretical physics how do you
3: i came there is a small side of me that has always been an outsider um because uh, um i was rebellious in my youth and i um i i came into science after a period in which uh, I was more interested in changing the world. This was the 70s, the um, moment in which uh, the youth wanted to change the world and thought it, was, uh, it, 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 it could do it. Um, it was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I got into science a little bit because of this disappointment, because the in-science revolutions happen and actually succeed. It was a revolutionary aspect of science that fascinated me. Mm. Um, When I got to study the uh, physics of the 20th century, Einstein and uh, quantum mechanics, uh, the same physics that Oppenheimer were fascinated about, uh, I thought, wow, that's absolutely fantastic because it challenges our worldview. It challenges whatever it was taught before. It shows that things are different. uh, um, And uh, I loved that. I love that and I, I wanted to understand that, to understand what was understood about the world with this uh, new perspectives. So, and then at some point, uh, along this fascination, I realized that there are a lot of open issues at the core of our understanding of the world, of the physical world. And I thought, I want to be part of this uh, uh, process, this uh, changing our understanding of reality. And That's how I got into science. I want to uh, we will obviously talk more about quantum
2: physics in a moment but just in in your answer there you said that in the 70s you you and your generation wanted to change the world but also believed that you could yeah. change the world and am I, am I right to infer from that that you don't think that's the case now that a younger generation doesn't want to change the world or they don't think that they can what's what's the difference or am I am I picking up on something that perhaps wasn't there in your statement No you're
3: things? right exactly I, I I I I feel that the young generation now is less optimistic about the capability of making a better world. Mm. What do you think that is? I think they're wrong. I think they could come very well make a better world. They just have to, to do it. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I consider myself an old guy at this moment. You know, but I, I trust the young people. I mean, I see the, uh, the majority, I live with students, right, at the university. Uh, they're, on average, far more knowledgeable than my generation. Mm. They have a wider worldview. Uh, they are more smart because uh, not just in terms of pure intelligence, but in terms of uh, you know you you know more about the world. You you have read more stuff. Uh, you um, you have e- more easy access to all sorts of information, also very high quality information. Mm. And then of course you have a you have a deeper perspective, a deeper understanding of the world than what we had as young kids. Um, so I like the new generation. Uh, from my perspective, an old guy, I wish they were more courageous mm. and, and not just uh, being worried about their own individual future. but Think about collectively that uh, uh, we can make a better world. The world in which we live, which is a lot of shit and a lot of good, all the good is there because people changed what was before and fought for it. Mm. And I think this is going to happen and continue, uh, but I don't see it going on very much. And there is—I mean—the people who fight, the young people who fight, and who see the problems, right? For instance, I don't know. There's all part of youth that is uh, enormously concerned, correctly, about about climate change, and they are screaming about that. Mm. So these are you know kids that uh, have their eyes open. And say, look, there's there's a problem. You adults, idiots, what are you doing? Fighting against each other instead of just taking care of the real problems.
2: It's interesting. I, I agree with your analysis. I wonder how much of a role, it, we're talking already about the 70s and the 60s, right, the counterculture and the individualism of the 60s and 70s, how much that feeds into the sort of uh, individual politics of the now and whether or not that individualism carries through sort of um, particularly products like uh, the iPhone, all of Apple's products, Steve Jobs, you know, he was really motivated by that individualism, that counterculture. And now, whether or not that's sort of a barrier to the collective action that we're kind of bemoaning, the lack of collective action that we're kind of bemoaning now. It's interesting that the, the, the two sort of potentially revolutionary moments and sort of completely how their ideology connects to each other, I find quite interesting.
3: I don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, well, let's talk about what.
2: Let's talk about evolution.
3: Revolution is an old uh, wall. That yeah. disappears on the ground, but then reappears when you don't the, expect
2: it, and surfaces again. Okay, let's talk about physics yep. rather than politics. Um, for someone who doesn't perhaps understand or know what quantum physics is, top line, can you explain to, I don't know, first day in your classroom, You know what is quantum physics?
3: No, I can't. <laughs> because you started by saying, for someone who doesn't understand quantum physics, and if you really want to understand it uh, seriously all the way to, uh, then I'm sorry, nobody understands it. Yes. <laughs> Um, Richard Feynman, which is probably the, the greatest uh, scientist of the second half of the last century, uh, put it very strongly. He says, "Nobody understands quantum physics." <clears throat> uh, what does this mean? Uh, it has to be taken with in the right sense. Uh, w- we do understand quantum physics very well in the sense that we can work with it very well. I mean, we have a, um, a set of basic equations and tools and uh, concepts, uh, uh, thanks to which we can uh, describe the quantum phenomena. Quantum physics means that matter, everything uh, shows, displays some some peculiar phenomena that were not known before, especially when things are small. And uh, uh, these phenomena, which are quantum phenomena, are well described by the equations, can be predicted, we know when they happen, how they happen, uh, and we build machines with that. We need... Um, iPhone is full of quantum stuff inside, all, all sorts of things, and plenty of our technology has little quantum stuff inside. Uh, transistors have um, are, are are designed using quantum quantum mechanics. So, it's not that we don't understand quantum mechanics in this sense. But what happens with quantum mechanics is funny, because um, this um, these systems that we describe, like a transistor or a laser, or a, um, we treat them like uh, black boxes. We know that if we do that, this will ha- happen later on. Okay? If we ask w- what I'm inside, uh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of uh, uh, explicit situations in which uh, uh, this is like a punch in your nose. For instance, uh, the most famous one is the so, so-called double slit experiment. You have a particle, you throw it the other side of a wall, and there are two holes in this wall. And uh, every time you detect the particle, the particle is one place, okay? And if you, if you look where the holes are, you either see it going through one place, one hole, or through the other hole. Okay? But if you want to calculate where you're going to find the particle on the other side, you have to assume that it goes through both, okay? And now you look at me with open eyes and say, what the hell are you talking about? Exactly, what the (laughs) hell am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And physicists are uh, confused themselves. So uh, when they compute where the particle is going to arrive, on the screen the other side of the wall, they they can predict it with absolute uh, confidence what exactly? You send Martin's particle, you say so many are going to arrive here, so many are going to arrive there. Okay? Mm-hmm. And in the calculation, you just imagine that the particle splits and goes through both walls and then uh, come back the other side. Mm-hmm. And then you say, but why do, you do this calculation with the particle you always see in one place? And the, and the answer of this is, uh, uh, because it works.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask the why. We yeah. get to the right place in the end, it's Exactly. Right. Exactly. How much of so how much, then, is it right to understand theoretical physics as kind of the explanation of what we know, but it's always up for debate, it's always up for challenge, and and also constantly be sort of evolving and, and moving forward.
3: Quantum mechanics is a peculiar thing, because um, it's not a p- typical thing. The typical thing that has happened historically, including relativity, including black holes, including electromagnetism, Including Copernicus, including the big jams, uh, the, the, the atomic, molecule uh, molecular theory of gases, is that um, physicists come out with a outlandish new way of thinking, and at the beginning everybody's confused uh, uh, because it doesn't doesn't make sense. But then it uh, slowly uh, it does make sense. You just have to arrange your mind, your, your neurons. So, um, let me give you a, a relatively simple example which is the, the Copernican revolution, right? Um, so you start off by saying, we're sitting on a, uh, on a chair in the Earth, the Earth does not move, right? It's not moving. We're, mm. Our chair is not moving. Absolutely, okay. yeah. yeah. And then Copernicus comes out and, you know, finishes an old theory of antiquity and makes it, and, and shows that, no, 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 it makes much more sense that we're actually spinning, the Earth is actually spinning on itself super fast and is sort of, uh, orbiting around the sun super fast. You know, Copernicus comes in and say, you and I are moving at 10 kilometers per hour. And you say, well, what the hell? We're not moving at 10 (laughs) kilometers per hour. We're not moving. Okay. Um, So total confusion. But now we're not confused anymore. We understand that it's okay. It makes perfectly sense that the earth is spinning. It's going around the sun. And yet you and I I have this sense of not moving. Mm. We found a way to bring all together in a Conceptual manner that makes sense, or even before. Right? Let me step one one step even before. Uh, long ago, much earlier than that, somebody came out with the idea that the Earth is round. Okay, and there are people Sydney, which are upside down, how can the hell people in Sydney live with their foot up and their head down? I mean, that doesn't make sense. They would fall first of all. How can they hang to the feet to the floor to the, to the ceiling in that silly way, right? Total confusion, but then no, it's, it's, uh, we understand there is attraction. So if you're in Sydney, it looks the other way around, it looks that we're upside down, and so on and so forth. So each one of these steps is a rearranging of reality in a new way that uh, it seemed to clash our common sense, but actually, it doesn't. It's our common sense which is a bit restricted once you enlarge it, you make sense. And so, <clears throat> through these century after century, uh, fundamental science have developed uh, a, a, a deeper, better understanding of the world. And part of this is just being absorbed in our common sense. In fact, our common sense its the absorbed part of our knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the, the part of our common knowledge which is um, everybody has clearly in, in his or her own mind. Um, then there are things which are well, understood by the scientists, like black holes or general relativity, or Eastern Revolution, and the public still struggle a little bit, but they're clear. Quantum mechanics is a bit different because the sciences themselves haven't been yet able to come out. Maybe it's just a confusion, right? Like Sydney people being upside down. It's that sort of confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm optimistic that with more debates in quantum mechanics, we're going to. In a, I don't know, a decade or so or two, uh, say okay, okay, now we got it. We've, we figured it out. Yeah, we figured it out. Close the book, job done. Yeah. Okay, let's
2: talk then about sort of that expand, breaking the confusion, expanding the, the limits of sort of human
3: understanding. White holes. Um, Your white holes is a <clears throat> uh, so. Let me continue this uh, story. I was giving you in this process of learning more about the, the world. There is um, a part which the scientific community has found it convincing. Uh, today it includes uh, the, the, the result of Einstein investigations, which is relativity theory, and general relativity theory, theory of space-time, which includes black holes, expansion of the universe, gravitational waves, all that stuff. And includes particle physics, the discovery of what is the uh, the little bricks in a sense that form uh, form matter, the protons, electrons, the quarks, uh, that sort. And quantum mechanics. That's what we know. Uh, But then the process continues. We're not done yet, um, of course. And in fact, um, I believe that we're not done by far. There are plenty of things we don't know. about the world. And out there, there are clearly things which uh, escape this sort of basic set of theories that that we have. Um, And one of the things that clearly escape is the interior of the black hole. And that's where the idea of white hole comes in. So Mm -hmm. it's not an established established theory, it's it's, it's an hypothesis of something that may happen beyond the, uh, the current theories. And the white hole—it's um, so—it's its a research. It's an ongoing research. Is is a speculation. Is a tentative theory, mm-hmm. right? waiting to be confirmed. And uh, uh, what is about the, the theory of black hole is uh, a white hole is about what happens uh, deep inside a the, the black hole, which is where we don't know uh, what happened. Mm-hmm.
2: a problem here isn't there that sort of even as recent as sort of 20 years ago, many physicists didn't even believe that black holes existed, right? They didn't, didn't think that they were real. One wasn't photographed until 2019. And like you were talking about there in, in the book, you sort of, you take us inside one and eventually out into a white hole. This is a slightly broader philosophical question, but how can we, how can we know that something is real or how can we, how can we picture it if we haven't seen it? If, 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 you, if you follow what I'm saying, how do we say to those people 20 years ago who go, these aren't real, it's not, it doesn't exist. Without the photograph, how do, we, how do we convince them that it is?
3: That's a fantastic thing about theoretical physics, that it works so well. Um, it has al- always worked so well. Pick um, <clears throat> Maxwell. Maxwell... Uh, he took all the um, results that Faraday in his laboratory were collecting, uh, but just measuring how little pieces of um, of iron and copper and things moving one with respect to the other were pulling and pushing one another. So he was studying electric forces and magnetic forces. Uh, and uh, uh, Faraday has this vision of uh, how they could... Uh, could interact through some sort of diffuse thing that he called the field, the electric field, the magnetic field, and um, uh, Maxwell put all this together and um, wrote this equation and thought, well, to put this to work, the equations must be such, and there should be another terms, blah blah blah, and then look at the equation says, and therefore a consequence is that there could be um, radio waves. Okay, so people could have asked him, what is radio waves? Because nobody had mentioned radio waves. Nobody knew what radio waves is something that came out from the equation. Mm. Okay? Uh, it was not something humankind had observed before mm. in, in any manner. The only thing wavy that sort that, of, 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 of that that humankind knew was light, but radio waves is something else. So uh, Maxwell predicted that y- there are radio waves, namely... I'm here and I can move some electric stuff and you're very far away, you're in New York, and you get the message. Okay? You can talk by radio. And boy, it was true. Hertz discovered that and, uh, you know, Marconi did the first transmission from Europe to to, to New York uh, with radio waves. Um, these radio waves were not discovered, they were predicted
0: mm.
3: by theory. and. Uh, this is pretty spectacular, but things like that happen all the time in science. And what is it going on? Well, it's just it's that we're smart, right? We're doing the same thing that, you know, when we were, you know, hunters in the, in, in, in the savannah uh, half a million years ago or whatever, we were looking at some traces and say, look, oh, oh, there's some steps here, and then there's something broken there. Therefore, there should be something which I haven't seen. There should be a little antelope that is going there, right? Mm. And you go and you find it. Okay, it is there. How do you get it? Well, because we're smart. Mm -hmm. From the sign to make the story coherent, there should be an antelope. You Mm. go, you get it, and you eat it. Um, So it's the same same thing that we do in our life to use partial information and uh, uh, combine it in a way that makes sense, and be able to predict something else. And that has worked over and over again. (coughs) Einstein um, was sitting in his uh, office all the time, and taking the information about what Maxwell had discovered, which I just described, and what Newton had discovered a couple of centuries before, and uh, thinking how the thing could stay together. They didn't seem to stay together well. And uh, he realized that to stay together when, one possibility was this thing that we call his theory, now general relativity, namely that space is curved, time is curved, clocks go at different speed depending on where you are. Mm. <clears throat> so he wrote down a few papers in 1915, saying, oh, that's the theory that makes everything together. And the theory predicts that if you take two clocks, you move one up and one down, they go at different speed. Nobody had observed this before. Now we can do that. We have good clocks, and they do. They go at different speed. The theory predicted that there are gravitational waves, mm-hmm. and gravitational waves were found. It predicts that the universe was expanding, and bingo, we saw the expansion of the universe. It predicted black holes, and black holes were there. And some of these predictions were so outlandish that they were not believed. Some of the consequences of his theory, Einstein himself did not take them seriously. First, a black hole, uh, the theory predicts black holes, the possibility of black holes. But Einstein could not understand well his own theory because to to actually open up the equations, to do a calculation, and get the right way of thinking about that takes time, takes many people. So Einstein never took the idea of black holes seriously. Uh, he died in the 50s, uh, and at the time, black holes were just basically a funny a funny solution of his equations that probably doesn't mean almost certainly doesn't mean anything. Mm. Uh, but then in the 70s, uh, looking at some stars, some astronomers, looking at some stars that were moving funny in the sky, uh, said, what's going on there is not comprehensible. You know, there were some little stars that were sort of dancing around something else. So how can a star just dance around something else? It, it, it started, cannot move back and forth just mm. by itself. There should be, it could orbitate around something else. But what is this something else? It was not visible, so it should be dark. Very dark and massive because the stars should orbit around it. Mm. So, what could be small and dark and massive? Uh, okay. And somebody said, Could it be a black hole? This funny thing predicted by the theory. And somebody was saying, Oh, come on, that's too strange. And, uh, um, and this went on and on and on. And, and now, with a, uh, getting better of technology, uh, telescopes or radio telescopes, now everybody's is convinced so yes, that yes, black holes are exactly the thing predicted by the theory. Mm-hmm. And this takes us takes us back to white holes, mm-hmm. because white holes are today in the same situation in which black holes were um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Namely they are predicted by Einstein theory. They are also one solution um, of the Einstein equations. Uh, and all through my life, I've heard and read in books, yeah, but this is a, you know, a strange solution. It's unlikely that there is anything like that in the world. <laughs> and maybe that's wrong.
2: It feels like it's waiting to be disproven then. So I would ask you if you, if you could take us sort of on a journey through, through a black hole towards a white one, and if you could start perhaps by telling us of what happens as you approach the horizon, right, of, of of a black hole. What what do what do we experience as we as we sort of come up to, to this point before we start moving forward?
3: Yes. So let me start by telling you what we know well, what we are confident. So no speculation here, mm. it's just what we know. You approach the horizon of black hole, you are in a starship, you get close to the horizon of black hole, which is Possible, just an issue of money, right? Yeah. <laughs> Building a starship and <clears throat> uh, traveling there. And the first thing you notice is that time goes funny. Goes funny, um, namely, uh, if you keep communicating back with Earth, you see what's going on in Earth uh, to sort of speed up, like uh, everybody was moving more faster. Like uh, uh, from Earth, they send message to you. Um, once a day, and you receive it once an hour, so you see the future. like you feel like you' are you you're seeing the earth in the future, and the more you go close the black hole, the more you see what's going to happen on Earth speeding up. And why so? Because where you are near the entrance of the black hole, time goes slower than on Earth. So while on Earth there is one hour passing for you, this is only one minute and your feeling, your clocks, in your oscillation, your Hurt your, 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 your thought is only one minute. So, in one minute, you see one other. The more you get closer, the more this is uh, strong. So, if you go very, very close to, bla- to the black hole, you hover there with some rockets, you see a rapidly, rapidly future of humankind. You know, everybody loving each other, peace finally, and, and the, fu- the happy future of humankind, mm. or else, yeah. whatever. If you enter, um, you can enter uh, because for you, time goes normal, right? It's not that for you, time slows. The, the slowing of time is only relative to the Earth. If, if people on Earth were looking at you, they would see you moving very slow. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Uh, but you feel normal mm-hmm. and you go through the horizon. You're inside. And inside, um, you see. The interior of the black hole, which is well described by this equation, so we know what it is, which looks like a very long uh, tunnel, extremely long tunnel, a pit that goes down and down and uh, finite, very very long, very long, which is closing over you very rapidly, and you get squeezed inside until that's where we don't know. And oh, better. That's where Einstein's theory is not sufficient. And here is when we have to make the jump and uh, get to something new. And here is quantum mechanics comes in. Because there, deep in the... when you're squeezed inside the, the, this shrinking space around you, inside the black hole, uh, it's where quantum effect becomes important. And where we need a quantum theory of gravity, which is what I've done All my life, I've been paid all my life coming out of the quantum theory of gravity. So, the tentative theory of gravity we have, uh, loop quantum gravity, on which I've worked all my life, tentatively tells us what happened next. And what happened next? We're inside, right? We've been squeezed. What happened next is that, thanks God, loop quantum gravity arrives, uh, (laughs) like you know, uh, Superman saving you, Mm. and the squeezing stops, and and uh, uh, because you get a maximum squeeze. Quantum mechanics works a sort of repulsion mm. that blocks the squeeze and reopens the space around you. Okay, so the space starts reopening around you, and instead of falling down as you've done at this moment, you realize that you're been pushed out, and you sort of go backward. Uh, you push out, 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 and come out of the of the horizon. Oh, we're saved. We're happy again. And you go out for the horizon, and now it's not a black hole horizon anymore, it's a white hole horizon. The same positions before, so you're out. Mm. So whatever came in, comes out. Uh, Only uh, remember the time uh, dilation, which I talked about. When you come out and you look at Earth, on Earth, billions of years have passed. Okay. So you know, bye bye your friends and and the of children and children and children mm-hmm. and uh, who knows? Maybe there are yeah, maybe there are uh, big mosquitoes dominating there. Who knows? So yeah. maybe there's no earth anymore. It's been taken away by the sun exploding or who knows? So um, if the theory is correct, uh, black holes uh, turns into white hole in the future, and uh, this happened by a sort of a bounce everything falls in bounces out which is a uh, uh, take short time if you go through inside but take very long if you're outside because from the outside you all see all this bounce like a super uh, super slow motion mm. so that's a hypothesis and uh, that's a on which me and many other colleagues are are, are working and i wrote the book not to tell people, look, this is what's going to happen. To tell people, this is what it is to try in theoretical physics. Try to guess about something. Try, you know, we take what we know about quantum mechanics, we take what we know about generativity, we try to combine, and this is a possible, reasonable story of what, what happened. Did,
2: you said that Einstein's equation sort of worked up to a point did he predict what would happen once you went through the other side? Or are you saying that there was there was a limit and that's basically as far as it goes, it, it's no no longer doesn't work for us beyond that point, or
3: he very clearly pointed out that his theory has limitation limitations because of quantum mechanics. And he said, in fact very early, um he wrote his theory in nineteen fifteen, and there is a paper in nineteen sixteen, one year later, in which he said, said um and by the way, because of quantum mechanics my theory will have to be corrected. But he never went into trying to do this. Mm. And and this is
2: kind of a, an open invitation, perhaps, to kind of yeah. advance and, and move our understanding forward?
3: Absolutely. I think people like Einstein had absolutely clear idea that in spite of the immense steps ahead uh, um, that he did, uh, that was not the end of the story. There were open problems still. Mm-hmm. Even if everything he did turned out to be true, which actually... Turnout. <laughs> um, there are next open problems. I'm always fascinated by this um, phrase that Newton, Isaac like Newton, wrote in a letter um, at the end of his uh, life, uh, in which he says, uh, uh, I, "I quote by heart: um, I, I don't know how future will look at me. The way I look at myself is like um, a child." Who is uh, playing on a, on a beach with pebbles and finds some nice pebbles and, and looking at them in front of the immense ocean of, of our ignorance? So, this is a. Isaac Newton is probably the greatest scientist ever lived and uh, the one who gave us, you know, universal gravitation, mechanics, optics. I mean, he's just this marvelous, plus mathematics, calculus. And uh, he was absolutely aware that with all he understood, what there was yet not understood was far, far more. And so was Einstein.
2: Mm. And so as you sit here now talking about the subject matter and the white holes, where do you see as that, that, that ocean of ignorance? Where do you see that in, in the modern world, given our current understandings? Where, physics. Yeah, physics. Where, where, where do you think? This is a space?
3: crucial question. And um, it has been um a question driving my, my career as a scientist uh, and also uh, characterizing, I would say, my career of a scientist, uh, uh, putting me in a slightly outsider position, to go back to the original question about outsiders. Because uh, um, after the discovery of quantum mechanics, uh, a lot of scientists uh, focused on understanding the atom. Quantum mechanics was understood studying the atom, right? And mm. then the atom is sort of electrons going around nucleus. And the question was about how the nucleus uh, work works and they're discovered as protons and neutrons. And then how neutrons and protons work because they also uh, composite things. And it was understood that the... Protons and neutrons are made by smaller particles, which are the quarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it seemed that we were at the end of the story. You know, just quor- uh, quarks uh, and uh, and um, uh, or you want the ingredients: protons, neutrons, and electrons. Would, were everything plus light and plus gravity. And then suddenly, all sorts of new particles were discovered, the muon, um, and uh, the neutrino, uh, and and so on and so forth, which physicists were, oh oh my god, somebody said, who ordered this? They are not needed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they exist. And then there was a big um, work, and uh, what came out of this work in the 50s and 60s, but toward the end of the 60s, the early 70s, uh, uh, there was some clarity. In this particle physics, um, uh, which was put together a theory which today we call the standard model. not a very um, pretentious name, <laughs> but it's a fantastic theory actually, mm-hmm. um, which is particle physics theory. But, uh, but the standard model seemed incomplete. Um, it's not a beautiful theory like generativity, sort of thing. And, and the particle physicists try to uh, uh, patch it better. Um, and of course, it did not work well with with gravity, with general relativity, because that was not part of it. Um, so there was a move uh, uh, to try to extend this work that was the construction of the quantum of of the standard model to include everything. And it was the start of uh, the search for the theory of everything. Okay. Um, T-O-E, theory of everything. And it was one tentative candidate of that, with string theory, uh, which seemed to have some uh, aspects were very, very uh, tempting, because uh, it was a relatively simple theory that included all the particles of the standard model, uh, plus gravity, plus light, plus the nuclear forces, um, uh, plus all sorts of other things. Um, And it seemed to be the possible final theory. So, a big part of the community uh, took that as the problem, and that's called the problem of unification. Unify uh, all the various aspects of the world, the physical world that we know, in a single, very simple equation from which everything follows. And uh, the search for the theory of everything uh, has absorbed the mind of, uh, uh, I don't know, I could quote Ginsburg, the best mind of my generation, destroyed by um, um I think it was the wrong idea. Not the wrong solution, it was the wrong problem. Mm. Because uh, I think what I've just said, uh, the best scientists were always aware that we are far from exhausting reality. There is this immense ocean of ignorance that Newton uh, mentioned. There's Einstein who writes relativity in 1915 and 1916. Says, but okay, it will have to be corrected because I know there is else. It's just obvious because there is quantum mechanics. And uh, who knows how many things are out there in the universe which we haven't seen yet? Other particles, other stuff. Who knows? I mean, just uh, the, the. So I have devoted my career, not just me. Uh, uh, part of the community, not to try to find the final theory of everything, okay? Mm. Too ambitious, but to solve specific problems. Like for instance, what are the quantum properties for gravity? Which means what happens if you go inside a black hole? Just enter the black hole and then what? There's a concrete problem. Mm. Newton was solving concrete problems. How do the planets move? He wasn't right in the theory of everything. And in fact, if he had tried to, written, to write the theory of everything, he wouldn't have done what he did.
2: I think a, the way we're talking about space and time over the course of this conversation requires us to conceive of it in a non-linear fashion. And that that linear view, the common sense, the orthodoxy, in a way is the confusion you're talking about. It's the, early, earlier on in the interview, it's the the, the ocean of ignorance and that actually the scientist's role is to think creatively, to break from the orthodoxy and to actually illustrate that what everyone takes as received wisdom, what everyone takes as being true, actually is part of a broader confusion that none that none of us have been able to put our finger on because we've been so immersed in it
3: this is exactly the point this is what you just said is exactly the center point and it has been also the center point of the of the scientific work of my of, of my life uh, let me make it concretely. when you fall into black hole you go down there this passage this jump from the squeezing to the opening from the black hole to the white hole cannot be described in space-time terms because space itself is quantum there and time itself is quantum there Exactly in the, like the, the particles through the through holes, okay, is neither here nor there is in both places, but we don't understand well. Um, the same manner, space down there is neither one shape nor another shape. is two shapes at the same time. So we It's not something we can describe in space at any time. Which means that to do quantum gravity, to study the quantum property of gravity, which is what I'm studying, we have to accept that the our strong natural intuition about a continuous space in which things happen and a continuous time along which things happen, uh, that's partial. That's like the flat Earth. It's good. More or less, it's flat. If you build a house, you assume that the Earth is flat. Okay, but it's only good here. Mm. It's not good if you want to make a map of the entire Earth. It doesn't work. And, and so the, the continuous space and the continuous time are good for our everyday life, but not for understanding what happened deep in the black hole or in the early universe in these extreme situations. So we have to change something fundamental. So the problem is not to find the final theory of everything on the basis of our conceptual understanding of the world. The problem is to be ready to change our conceptual understanding of the world for learning something new. And that's what fascinated me about science.
2: I was about to ask you how easy you think it is for someone to change their consciousness in that way. Well, nothing is easy, but that's,
3: you know, life is good because it's not easy.
2: Absolutely. Carla Rivelli, thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Hold up.